Hello, you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Well, there's speculation that the Bank of England will raise interest rates next week, August the 3rd, by a quarter of a percentage point. Now, this is in the continuing fight against inflation. The bank is still holding to its 2% guideline on inflation, even though inflation is running much higher than that. The last measure was around 7.9%, so it's four times the rate that the Bank of England has as its target rate. It's held steadfast with that target rate, even when inflation was higher during the year. So the interest rate would rise to 5.25%. Other banks holding savings, of course, are still paying derisory amounts in interest to deposit holders. But for those with loans, they're paying quite high rates. They're paying rates of over 6%, 7%, even 8% for loans from the banks. Well, here's a piece of surprising news. The chipmakers are celebrating the end of a semiconductor supply glut as the outlook for demand from customers outside the AI industry remains gloomy. All the major markets for chips, for smartphones, PCs and data centres have slowed down this year as both corporate customers and consumers have pulled back spending because of the weak global economy with high inflation and rising interest rates. And this has created an unprecedented oversupply of commodity chips worth about $12 billion. Two of the world's largest chip makers, Samsung and SK Hynix in Korea, said the glut has started to ease largely due to production cuts and as a decline in PC shipments, which is around 11% in June. That's compared to a 30% slump in each of the previous two quarters. The smartphone market is improving, with cell phone shipments falling 8% in June against 14% in the first quarter. Demand recovery is likely to be slow, according to SK Hynix Chief Financial Officer Wu Yun Kim. So recent improvements in PC shipments has been mainly led by promotions and the lower-end models, which has slowed down, of course, demand for the faster chips. Another piece of news that caught my eye this week said that Meta, with its new Threads app, has lost about half of its users in the weeks that followed its launch. So Threads hasn't been received as well as it might have been by the many customers signing up hoping for an alternative to Twitter. So we'll have to see how that develops. News from China this week says that gasoline demand has peaked as they hasten the transition to electric vehicles. US chipmaker AMD is to invest $400 million in India by 2028. And Intel has turned an unexpected profit as higher forecasts as PC market recovers. Now, there's a special edition of the Chain Reaction podcast coming your way. And I just want to spend a 
moment just telling you about that. And that's an episode on the electric car market. And if you're thinking of buying an electric vehicle, then you ought to listen to this particular episode. It will tell you all the pros and cons of purchasing electric vehicles. Well, with the increased interest of electric vehicles and all the battery technology that's needed to drive those vehicles, the ocean-going containers are filled full of ships with electric vehicles crossing the globe. And, of course, batteries. But it came to light this week that there's more of a risk in carrying those cargoes, as it emerged that there was a car carrier with a raging fire on board drifting off the Dutch coast. The cause of the fire was unknown, but the fire started in the battery of an electric car on board the ship. So all these carriers are moving these ships with EV lithium-ion batteries around the globe, but the risk of fire is twice the risk of normal fires on board maritime ships. This is likely to push up insurance costs as the risk is increasing. Lithium-ion batteries generally have been the cause of fires on board ships in the past year. There are 4,000 cars on board the ship that went on fire, which included 25 electric vehicles. Officially, the cause of the fire is still undetermined, but unofficially, it is said to be in a lithium-ion battery in one of the vehicles. And questions are arising as, as to whether these ships are kitted out with sufficient firefighting equipment to deal with lithium-ion batteries on board. So there may be a role for regulators here to tighten up the regulations with regard to the movement of these vehicles, and obviously insurance companies will be looking to see whether they need to re-evaluate the risks to push up the rates. Western automakers are concerned that the invasion of cheap Chinese electric cars into Europe will hit their profits. So they're rapidly working to try and lower prices of new EVs. They have a targeted 40% reduction from 2027 onwards, said Chief Executive Luca De Meo for Renault. And they're trying to lower raw material costs. Apparently they've fallen this year, but they significantly need to reduce the production cost on these vehicles. I suppose it's like most industries where you have to scale up. Until you scale up, you can't really lower the cost per unit. China, of course, will be the largest EV producer in the world, and they have all the supply chains secured to become more efficient at making EVs. And everyone else is playing catch-up. British Gas is a big energy supplier in the United Kingdom, and they have most consumers signed up to the supply deals of gas. And this week, they announced record profits. There's been an angry reaction to British Gas reporting record half-year profits, with millions of householders continuing to struggle to pay their bills. Gas profits rose £969 million after the price cap rise allowed it to make more money from household bills. Ofgem is the regulator, and they said that these bumper profits were a one-off due to the changes. But campaigners are saying that the profits were a further sign that Britain's energy system is broken. 
There are lots of concerns over the supply of energy in the UK with these very large suppliers holding an almost monopolistic position in the marketplace. Half of British gas profits, 500 million, was due to changes to the price cap made by the energy regulator. In comparison, the business reported profits of 98 million in the same period last year. So it's the regulator who's supposed to control the costs that's made the profit for British gas. And Scottish Power went from a large loss last year to provide profits of 576 million in its retail division. And there have been other beneficiaries in the energy supply market as a result of the, well, I suppose you'd say, the market not working efficiently. Well, a flashing sign with a cross, an X, went up on a building in San Francisco. Yeah, that's right, it's the Twitter building. Twitter HQ in San Francisco suddenly appeared with an X, which flashed continuously on top of the building. And after complaints from neighbours, the flashing light has been removed after three days. This is all part of a rebranding exercise by Elon Musk and his Twitter organisation. It seems a very strange thing to do, doesn't it? To remove an established logo and almost kill the brand and replace it with a cross. Some very odd things going on there. Can't really understand it in marketing terms. Yeah, you can get attention by putting a cross up over the building, an X. And if that was the aim, then that's been achieved. But to actually even contemplate removing the well-established blue twittering bird for a company named Twitter and replace it with a bland cross is just, well, unexplainable. I'll let you work that one out. Now, with all the publicity surrounding the net zero targets for 2050, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has stepped into the fray and announced 100 new North Sea oil and gas licences. The UK government said it supports carbon capture projects to lower carbon. Campaigners said that extracting more fossil fuel from the North Sea would send a wrecking ball through the UK's climate commitments. The government has said granting the new licence was entirely consistent with net zero commitments. This is in a week when the challenge by a number of Conservative councils against the ULES vehicle restrictions, that's an area of London that's being extended to some outer boroughs to prevent vehicles discharging carbon by taxing them, so effectively taxing them off those roads. It puts the price up of travel by car, and of course, any vehicle. So many people who work in the area delivering services, whether it's plumbers, decorators, builders, and other people who want to just go about their daily business, they're having to face this additional higher charge. And of course, that will get passed on in the form of their prices. They'll have to pass that on to customers, so it'll push up the price of those services. And many people are unhappy with that. But nevertheless... Everybody agrees that something has to be done about pollution. So it's a real dilemma. But the announcement of the North Sea oil and gas licences is seen as a contradictory decision with the government going for net zero targets by 2050. On the side of those that want to grant the licence, they claim that this will lower the cost of energy in the United Kingdom. And 
the UK will be able to provide more of its own energy. But critics say that all the North Sea oil and gas is exported on world markets and the price of that gas and oil is determined by those international markets. And so not much of it will find its way to the UK market. The government has also announced four carbon capture centres in Hull, Teesside, the north of Scotland and on Merseyside. But none of those are as yet working. These are things for the future. Carbon capture is a simple process where they prevent the carbon being released by industrial sites or power stations and recycle it into the ground, into cavities, underground, under the sea. Another thing that, of course, critics say about the energy policies in the United Kingdom is that there's a need for much more storage, greater storage facilities so that they can actually store more of the gas until it's needed. And many other countries in Europe have much higher levels of gas storage than the UK has. I think I mentioned in a previous episode about energy that the UK has about eight days of storage. And that might have changed a little since then. But in comparison to European countries where they have the ability to store months, not days, of gas, it doesn't seem very good. The government has said that even when we reach net zero in 2050, a quarter of the energy needs of the United Kingdom will still come from oil and gas. So we're not eliminating fossil fuels completely, which I think is the misunderstanding of some people. It's understandable that people are confused by the UK's energy policy, when on the one hand, there's a commitment to net zero by 2050, and yet on the other hand, there's an extension of rights and licences to develop fossil fuel excavations. BP announced net profits of £2 billion for the quarter between April and June this year. That's a sharp fall on last year's profit for the same period. It's about half of what it was in the preceding three months too. It was about £4 billion or $5 billion US dollars at that point. But in the quarter last year, it was £6.5 billion pounds, or $8.45 billion dollars. This fall had been expected by analysts, but the BP results are worse than expected, and they say the costs have risen. Shell revealed a big fall in profits in the second quarter of its financial year also, and that's largely due to energy prices plunging. Well, when they say energy prices plunging, they've hardly plunged. They've gone down, but they're still much higher than they were prior to the Ukraine war. So let's get some perspective on this. IT consultancy Accenture is to cut 890 jobs in Ireland. It's already let 400 staff go earlier in the year, and this was part of a global reduction announced back in March of this year. It's one of the largest batch of IT layoffs in Ireland, which is the European hub for some of the biggest global technology companies. Accenture is one of Ireland's largest foreign multinational employers, with over 6,500 staff. The 1,290 redundancies throughout this year represent close to 20% of the Irish workforce, and it compares to 2.5% of its global workforce that it set out to cut back in March. Accenture has said its business is still strong in Ireland, but it was part of its efficiency requirements to cut staffing. 
Employment in Ireland's information and communication technology sector actually grew 2.7% on the first quarter data, which helped push the overall unemployment rate to a record low of 3.8%. Amazon announced this week that it's planning to invest about 7.2 billion US dollars through to 2037 in Israel as it launches its Amazon Web Service data centers in that country. The Amazon Web Services company, the cloud computing platform, is used by companies such as Netflix, General Electric and Sony, and it allows them to store, network and access remote security. This expansion will mean that the AWS Amazon Web Service will be available in 32 geographic regions. It's expected to contribute about $13.9 billion to Israel's gross domestic product. Ukraine and Croatia have agreed the possibility to export Ukrainian grain via the Adriatic ports in Croatia. This is in response, of course, to the agreement to export grain via the Black Sea having fallen through as Russia withdrew from the deal. Walmart paid 1.4 billion US dollars to buy the remaining Flipkart shares owned by Tiger Global this week. That values the Indian company at about 35 billion US dollars, according to the Wall Street Journal. This is down from a 38 billion dollar valuation of Flipkart in 2021, but it's still a considerable sum. Walmart bought a 77% stake in Flipkart for 16 billion US dollars in 2018. Flipkart is one of India's largest online marketplaces and it's focused on small towns and cities unlike Amazon, who are the main rival, which is more urban in its approach. It's a very similar company to Amazon in the sense that it started life selling books and diversified rapidly into selling consumer electronics, fashion items, groceries and other goods. So you can see the likeness. So perhaps sometimes copying does actually pay dividends. It also offers services that include travel booking and online prescriptions. It's benefiting from a rapid growth in smartphone usage and the adoption of that technology in India with cheaper mobile data. BMW has lifted its forecast earnings before interest and taxes, but it also warned of the challenges ahead from supply chain issues and inflation in the second half of the year. It's a very similar outlook that was reported by its major competitor, Mercedes-Benz. They've also raised their earnings outlook but warned of the macroeconomic environment being difficult. BMW expects its EBIT margin on the car division to be somewhere between 9 and 10.5%, and that's up from the 8 to 10% previously reported. Cash flows is the difficult one for car makers because they have all that investment up front and then they have to store the cars for quite a period of time before they're sold on. So that's the challenge ahead. Meanwhile, Toyota reported it's doubled its profits in the first quarter and that's been helped by increased sales and productivity as well as a falling yen. So when you're trading on the international markets, if the local currency is falling, 
that helps exports. And that's what's happened with Toyota too. Sales volumes across all regions increased compared to the same period a year earlier. And that's due to productivity improvements and efforts made along with suppliers, the company said when it announced its improvements in earnings. Earnings are up to about 7.85 billion US dollars, 1.12 trillion yen. And that's an increase of 94% on a year earlier. And it beats the profit estimate, which was 945 billion yen. Last year's operating profit was 578 billion yen in the first quarter. So it's on target for a 3 trillion yen profit in the current year. Competition from China has become extremely severe, according to Toyota, and it's had to cut prices in response. Toyota said it would strengthen development in EV technology in China and target significant cuts in its manufacturing costs to become more competitive. North America, of course, is a key market for Toyota. Its home performance in Japan is particularly strong, and so the outlook is good. A settlement has been reached in the dispute between the Teamster Union, which represents 340,000 workers at United Parcels, and the company. The tentative agreement is estimated to be worth 30 billion US dollars. It's a historic wage increase. One more paid holiday and air conditioning in the company's ubiquitous brown delivery trucks. It eliminates the existing two-tier pay system and enforced overtime arrangements, according to the Teamster General President, Sean O'Brien. 176 local unions have made an agreement with UPS. The 14 affiliates didn't show up to the meeting in Washington, D.C. to review the agreement. It will be voted on between August the 3rd and 22nd. So let's hope that dispute finally gets resolved. Well, that's it for this edition of the Chain Reaction News Roundup. And I hope you'll be able to join us next time to add value to your supply chain by staying ahead of the game, finding out what's going on elsewhere in the world. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. And I'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.